I've never sent or received from anyone a dick pic or whatever the female equivalent of that is. I had a quick look on Reddit and it turns out, according to Reddit, that it's a pelfy, a pussy selfie. There you go. <laughs> is the um, female version of a dick pic. But from what I can tell, the pelfy is made for different reasons. For as we know, and if you don't know, I would suggest reading Ogi Ogas and Sai Gadam's book, A Billion Wicked Thoughts, particularly the chapter about male exhibitionism, which reveals, I mean, the flaming obvious, right, which is that men are obsessed with penises in a way that women just aren't. In a survey of 50,000 respondents between the ages of 18 and 50, just 15% of women reported dissatisfaction with their partner's penis size, while 45% of men declared that they wanted a larger penis. Another study that looked at eye tracking, which is basically recording what men and women are looking at when they're engaged in conversations with each other or with strangers, it turns out that men consistently direct their gaze to the male crotch, though women rarely do so. And in romance novels, even ones that include explicit descriptions of sex, romance novels that are read by women, men don't read these, men watch porn, visual details about a man's penis, including size, are seldom offered. There's a website called Chatroulette that allows you to talk to a random user through a webcam. And someone did a bit of research on this and monitored the content of their 1,276 consecutive Chatroulette sessions, finding out that about one in four of those, when the video of the other person, this other random stranger came online, one in four webcams were aimed at another man's penis presumably the same man who wanted to have the conversation or maybe it wasn't really about conversation. And of course we can bring in all sorts of modern notions about patriarchal domination and the like. But perhaps one possible explanation for this very weird focus on this little bit of flesh that hangs between our legs and occasionally gets a little bit engorged with blood is that our primate cousins um, the New World Monkeys, the Old World Monkeys and the Apes have a similar relationship with their genitals. The erect primate penis is used as a sign of male-male aggression, uh, also to mark territory and as a sexual invitation to females. If the invitation is witnessed by a competing male, the erect penis can provoke hostility and attacks. And of course, we see this with the human animals in nightclubs, bars, all of that sort of stuff as well, right? Richard Dawkins also suggests that an erection may be a visible sign of a man's general health. So the dick pic proffering individual is perhaps saying, hey, I have some sort of vitality in me. You know, the life force is strong within me, etc. I've often thought that the Ace of Wands is sort of the dick pic of the tarot deck. And perhaps for good reason, because perhaps it keys into some of that primal signaling of fertility and, in this case, new growth, <laughs> um, you know, new offshoots from our core life force. And I suppose in some way, particularly when launching a new project, I guess that sort of is my version of sending people I know and love <laughs> uh, some kind of dick pic. Because there's also 
a real vulnerability, I think, in terms of this kind of display. It's sort of saying, hey, this is vital, this is necessary, this is a core part for me of what it means to be alive, to share this kind of work with you. But there's always the recognition that at some level, for some people, it may just be like getting a sort of dick pic in their podcast stream. (laughs) And what is this dick pic of? It's of an offshoot to the Tarot Cure, which I've decided to call The Burning Questions. And this is going to be a more conversational podcast, and I guess one where I don't let my (laughs) freak flag, or however you decide to um, interpret that, fly so freely. I guess it's one where I'm more firmly ensconced in my, I don't know, psychotherapist persona, if you want to call it that. Although, like all personas, (laughs) it's not something I pick up and put down, it's just there. But it is a kind of persona because it doesn't allow for the full expression of my human, animal, being and doingness. And I think only this little strand, as navel-gazing and as (laughs) uninteresting as it possibly is for lots and lots of people, I I think that allows me to do that. But I also recognise that there needs to be some balance, there needs to be something we do, something we maybe even give back of our, I don't know, creativity, talents, whatever, to others. And maybe this is, maybe this is the kind of dick pic that I'm uh, sending now. So here's the introduction to that podcast. And I think I'm also going to post on here one or two of the first episodes just to give you a flavor. Um, I probably won't cross-fertilize after that too much. But yeah, I hope you find my latest dick pic of interest and I hope it brings you a bit of joy or if not at least a bit of a laugh which I think most dick pics at the very least achieve that I guess. So I'm looking at the Ace of Wands and the illustration of a hand holding a stick, a wand. Um, And I'm reminded of a piece of sculpture I once made. It was a soft sculpture. I made it to fabric and wadding and sticks and I sewed it together with minute hand stitching. And the sculpture was of a hand, of a disembodied hand. And it was a piece of work I made at a point where I was finding it hard to paint. So I made my inert hand. I made my uh, hand that didn't know what to make. I made it, the making of it, into a piece of work. So for me that association means that this card is about creativity. And, you know, the wand is floating, it's not rooted, it's not planted in the ground. Um, the hand is not connected to a, a body, it is, it is a disembodied hand. It is coming out of a cloud, no less. So here they are floating, this hand and wand partnership. And it's the ace. And I don't know about tarot, but I know that the ace in a deck of playing cards can be either high or low. In other words, it can be either really valuable or almost worthless. And I think the same goes here. You know, this hand and its creative potential It's in the clouds. There's a potential here for the creative um, energies to be dissipated into daydreaming 
Alternatively, the hand is holding a wand which can create pure focused magic. Um, and there's a, a sort of holding in potential here of one or the other. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Do you remember the phenomenon of Post Secret, a website that was all the rage in the early aughts, long before social media took over the confessional mode? Post Secret involved anonymous contributors emailing this guy, Frank Warren, a postcard in which they revealed something about themselves that they didn't normally share with anyone else. These revelations included confessions like, I was high at my son's bar mitzvah, or I wear my doctor's badge in public in an effort to keep white people from fearing me, or the problem with my loneliness is that other people don't seem to cure it. Read enough of these confessions, and even if they don't all reflect your or my personal experience of being a human animal, they always seem to alight on desires and conflicts that every one of us can relate to. Perhaps it's got something to do with the fact that when someone shares with you something that is burning inside them, a burning confusion, a burning joy, a burning hope, it often creates a very powerful human connection between that speaker and their listener. A connection, I would suggest, that is really akin to a special kind of love. Which is strange, if you think about it, that sharing those very aspects of ourselves that we feel consciously or unconsciously ashamed of, selves that we certainly feel self-conscious about, often will transform us in some way, in the process of sharing, into a very lovable human animal, uh, especially to others who identify with some of our existential confusion or prickliness. Those aspects that we try not to reveal to others for fear of being judged by them, as indeed sometimes we are, are also the very shares that people enjoy hearing about and which would most likely offer both parties a space for some sort of connected, comfortable, interesting conversation. Let's try that supposition out. How do you feel when hearing these post-secret confessions? I'm afraid to let people see me naked because I'm scared my vagina is abnormal. You are the worst thing that ever happened to me and I miss you so much. I like going to poop because it's like weight loss without exercise. There is a stranger living my life, and she is me. In order to function in society, I have to be kept sedated like a wild animal. I'm scared to death that my son will grow up to realize that I'm gay and won't love me anymore. See what I mean? Whatever shock or ambivalence we may at first experience, this is almost immediately transformed into a kind of recognition, which I guess we would call empathy or compassion, mainly because we recognize in that suffering person's experience a profoundly mutual and allied awareness, an awareness of our shared 
aspirations, infatuations, yearnings, cravings, needs, urges, wants, desires, and, and all the rest of this muddled and conflicted consciousness we call the human mind. For example, the yearning to belong in some way to another person, to a family unit or to a tribe, uh, a group of souls that share a common interest, this is often the most powerful as well as the most prevailing of our yearnings on this paradoxically lonely as well as overpopulated planet. Here are just a few of the thousands of post-secrets connected in some way to this yearning, this yearning for belonging. More than anything, I want to go home, but I'm not sure where home is. I feel that I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, and I don't want to settle in order not to. I've created over a dozen t-shirts with quotes of photos from obscure films in the hope that someone will recognize them and be my true blue best friend that I've always dreamed of. I wonder if that last person has a podcast by now. I, 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 I think they might. But what of our other existential yearnings? The, the yearning for meaning and self-direction is another really important one, such as in, I don't know what I want, but I don't want this, or nature and writing are my true therapies. They make me want to live. Or, I know that in sending a stupid postcard to share a secret with a bunch of strangers won't do a damn thing to change the daily loneliness and unhappiness in my life, but I sent this anyway. There is also that yearning for competence, to feel that we are good enough in those aspects of our lives we want to be good enough in, or for those people in our lives we want to be good enough for, such as these post-secrets. I don't know if I'm faking it, all of it, or I will never be sexy enough, or I feel like I have no self-control. We also have a powerful thirst or aspiration for orientation, as in where the hell am I going in this one wild and precious life, as Mary Oliver would put it. What's my navigation system here? Post-secrets that address this yearning for orientation include I need to change. I do not believe in God, and yet I still find myself praying to Him. I made the wrong choice. I want to be skinny more than anything, and I don't care that it won't make me happy. There is also our yearning to be at peace with our sometimes troubling or troubled minds, as well as all those embodied feelings and tensions we hold inside ourselves. A yearning which often drives us to engage with some form of psychotherapy or maybe even a spiritual practice. Some example post-secrets. I've put off telling my mother that I'm depressed and need help because I'm afraid she'd be angry. I'm not the perfect daughter she thinks I am. I married the wrong man. I am comforted by the availability of suicide. I am that 40-year-old virgin. I can't bring myself to see this movie because I feel so embarrassed and humiliated by it. But I'm more humiliated by the fact that no one has ever wanted me. I'm ashamed I am a failure at the most basic human level. Behind every yearning, every longing, and every secret, there is also a burning question. 
a question that provokes often quite strong emotions in us, be they of hope and excitement, or, as is more often the case, anxiety, and maybe even a kind of existential dread, a hopeless or helpless despair. For example, will I ever meet someone that I really like and am attracted to and who wants to partner up with me in a relationship or perhaps without the sexual attraction as a close friend? That's a burning question. Will I ever get on top of my dealings with food and drink or other addictive substances? Burning. Will I ever find work that is meaningful as well as remunerative that really engages with my character strengths and values? That's another burning one. Or how do I overcome the lack of confidence I have in myself or in others in my inability to trust people's motives and intentions or to trust and nurture certain aspects of myself, particularly those aspects I don't like about myself? These burning questions often bring people to me as clients, patients, or as fellow travelers as I would prefer to see us in this game we call life. The burning questions, you might say, are the therapist's bread and butter, but they are also questions which we all, I think, have, a, have quite a profound appetite for, both those who hold the burning question and those who interact with the question itself. Who doesn't enjoy sitting in a pub and kind of getting stuck into those big burning questions? And I think this is because every burning question, no matter who it comes from, always relates directly or indirectly in some way to our own core existential yearnings. How could it be otherwise? We are all human animals with similar needs and desires, no matter our socioeconomic status, race, religion, gender, or whatever the differentiation is. And I think we also know deep down that it is the yearning, burning questions in us that brings us closer, both to our selves, um, the various selves inside us, as well as to other selves, other people. It's the questions that facilitate this closeness, not the answer to those questions. They won't unite us. If anything, they often polarize us and set us against each other. But it's the questions, especially the burning questions, that offer us the potential for belonging, for intimacy, connection, as well as the ability to cope as best we can with troubling feelings and thoughts to find coherence and meaning in and for our lives. But of course, we also like and desire answers or whatever suggests itself as a possible answer for us right now. The answers that work best are, of course, those that come from our own innate wisdom. I use a, a tarot deck for this purpose on the podcast, but also all sorts of other, I don't know, creative interventions, shall we say. Not because I believe that tarot has some kind of mystical access to the truth, capital T. No, the answer isn't in the tarot deck per se, or in anything else for that matter. But what tarot does, like other creative interventions or interactions you may have experienced before, is that 
it introduces into our confusion an archetype or a symbol, some image rich with potential meaning, but a meaning that requires our imaginations as the primary catalyst. It's a bit like writing, I guess, a secret on a postcard. The tarot card gives us something tangible for our burning questions to work on, to burn through or consume. And like other forms of consumption, this can be a very satisfying process, in my experience. So here's the sell, although it's not really a sell because I'm not selling you anything other than, I don't know, maybe an interesting experience. If you're up for sitting down somewhat ritualistically, which I think is another reason to record these, sitting down at the Burning Questions Cafe, and and I think it, it, it would be good to aim for magic. You know, the magic of self-discovery, the magic, the magic of enchantment and awe, the magic of feeling better when we're feeling troubled. I don't know about you, but this is the only kind of magic I'm really interested in. Um, and maybe if you are, then join me and let's talk a little bit about one of your burning questions. The question may contain a secret, but it doesn't have to. This is not a public confession box, if anything. This is a shameless as well as shame-liberating project, much more focused on the healing intention of living the questions, as Rilke famously put it, you know, trying to be patient towards all that is unresolved in our hearts and trying to love, again, in the words of Rilke, the questions themselves, like locked rooms or a book written in a foreign tongue. It's in this famous passage from Letters to a Young Poet that Rilke suggests that scrabbling around to uncover answers is all very well, but certain answers cannot be given to us because we have not been able to live them yet. And what matters is to live to live everything. And this seems to start with this idea of living the questions. He then goes on to say, quote, perhaps then we will gradually, without noticing it, live our way one distant day into an answer. And then another answer, and then another answer, and another one. Oh, and the burning questions, by the way, they don't have to be walloping, heavy duty, all hands on deck, killer whale, killer shark questions. I mean, there's plenty of space here for dolphins, seals, penguins, those kinds of questions too. Neither does the question itself need to be burning like a, like a forest fire in your life or kind of engulfing or transforming everything it touches. It might be a much more modest kind of flame, like one of the should questions, you know, those that sort of flicker in the mind for a moment or burn for a while at the tip of that aspirational lighter inside us. Should I ask for a pay rise? Should I try to buy less on Amazon and support my local retailers instead? Should I build a regular yoga or meditation practice into my life? Those kinds of things. Whatever the question is, I hope I've said something in this rambling spiel that might inspire you to share your question, not your secret, but your question anonymously with me and also to record it anonymously and with the option to have edited out any bits you would prefer not to share 
Um, and in so doing, in sharing this burning question and our exploration of it, some magic may occur. I don't know in what form, but some magic may occur and often does. One of the best formats I've found for opening some of those doors and windows into the questions that feel like locked rooms in our lives is to begin with us talking a bit about your burning question and see if we can get to the heart of the question, to the place where it really burns for us. A tarot card is then randomly picked out of the pack. And at this point, I will simply ask you to describe the card in as much detail as possible. We then explore your associations around the card, as if we were maybe talking about a dream you'd had the night before or or an image you'd briefly glimpsed online, but it had haunted you in some way ever since. We also delve a little into some of the more archetypal or classical readings of this card that has been sent to you, I suppose we we could imagine, uh, to help you with your burning question. Those wisdom narratives that are often attached to this particular card or that one, and see if they shed some light for you on your burning question. I found it to be so far, and as of the recording of this, I've done, I don't know, a handful, actually quite a fun format for both parties. And and I think that's what I'd like these recordings to be about, to be about enjoyment, to be about fun. I mean, serious fun in a way, but the kind of fun which maybe gives us a slightly different inlet or ingress, a different door, a different window into exploring those questions that maybe you or I or the the culture has spun around a million and one times before in other formats. Or maybe they have never been aired or only very briefly with friends and family. So what I'm really hoping and wishing for at the beginning of this journey is that this tarot format will bring a bit of fun and magic to our discussion, whatever we're going to talk about. So please do get in touch if you find this project an interesting one and would like to record an episode together, or if you know someone who would enjoy doing this, please forward them my introductory ramble, and then let's get to those questions, those frustrating, confusing, maddening, ridiculous, but also 100% uh, lovable, compelling, thought-provoking, and and very, very human burning questions. I've got the cure, the pure remedy. I know I can make you see the colors that I see. Come and take a bath in our ecstasy. I will wash away all of your fears, you will see. I am touched by your fine concern for life, even more than I was in Paris, where everything has a different tone and gets lost in the immense din which sets things trembling. For even the best of us gets the words wrong when we want them to express such intangible and almost unsayable things. But all the same, I believe that you need not remain without solution if you hold to things like those now refreshing my eyes. If you hold close to nature, to what is simple in it, to the small things people hardly see and which all of a sudden can become great and immeasurable. If you have this love for what is slight and quite unassumingly as a servant seek to win the confidence of what seems poor, then everything will grow easier, more unified and somehow more conciliatory. 
not perhaps in the intellect which amazed remains a step behind, but in your deepest consciousness, watchfulness and knowledge. And I should like to ask you as best I can to be patient towards all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms, like books written in a foreign tongue. Do not now strive to uncover answers. They cannot be given you because you have not been able to live them. And what matters is to live everything. Live the questions for now. Perhaps then you will gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer one distant day in the future. Perhaps you do carry within yourself the possibility of forming and creating as a particularly happy and pure way of living. School yourself for it, but take what comes in complete trust. And as long as it is a product of your will, of some kind of inner necessity, accept it and do not despise it. Hello again. You've been listening to my little introductory spiel for um, The Burning Questions. My name's Steve Wasserman. And some of the music that has accompanied us has come from Hani Arani, who is a Polish pianist and composer. Very good. Also some dude on YouTube who did a piano cover version of Sting's Fragile, which I quite like. And then Celestial Spheres by David Crowell. And then going out, of course, with Hot Chip, Bathful of Ecstasy. Because you always want to go out with Hot Chip's Bathful of Ecstasy. I do. I see.